Welcome to the Talking Security Podcast. We will talk about items related to Microsoft security. Hello, welcome again, listening to a new episode of the Talking Security Podcast. My name is Frans Oudenorp and I'm hosting this podcast. And in this recording, I will talk to some guys that I have on the table already. We have it about a question uh, that I received through social media. T.Y. Brewer asked me a question through Twitter. He was wondering if I could do an episode or a blog or something about the lessons in terms of managing alerts an incident when onboarding your organization. So that is the topic for today. We will look at the Microsoft 365 security suite. If the licenses is enabled, uh, what should you do next? And um, that I will discuss with uh, some friends that I have on the table. So let's have a, a, an introduction, a short introduction first. Uh, first, Dennis, um, you're back on the table, friend of the show already. Yeah. Yep. What are you doing? Who you are? Yeah, what, what am I doing at uh, Wattel? Uh, well, I'm a security analyst and also the team lead of the attack service management team. So we are uh, helping our customers um, yeah, with uh, looking at what, what can be improved in your environment in the means of uh, vulnerability management, uh, configurations that can be better and so on. Yeah, and also, yeah, once in a week uh, doing uh, the incidents, standby uh, shifts, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's thanks. in a nutshell. Thank you, Dennis. And on the right side, I have uh, Sibren. Sibren, who <coughs> are you are and uh, what are you doing? Yes, I'm uh, Sibren van Roy. I'm a security analyst at Wartel, working in all different teams, uh, trying to protect our customers. And also focusing up on, on onboarding uh, new customers. Onboarding new customers and uh, doing a little bit of reputation, uh, reports on their environment yeah. once they're onboarded. Nice. And on the left side of me, uh, Mike. Michael. Yes, uh, yes, my name is Michael Taylor. Most people call me Mike. I am also a security analyst on the, on the MDR team of Wartel. Um, and on top of that, I'm also the team lead of the MDR onboarding team, uh, which is responsible for connecting customers to the MDR service. Um, and we do that, of course, with Microsoft products and most of the time with Microsoft Sentinel. Yeah, great to have you guys on on the table because uh, when looking into the uh, Microsoft 365 security suite, uh, identity protection, Defender for Identity, Defender for Office, Defender for Endpoint. That are the topics that we will cover uh, today. Um, if I enable the license, then um, yeah, the stuff is enabled. But I think um, uh, TY Brewer is, is right. There is a lot of things to do after enabling not only configuration, but also uh, other things that we uh, cover uh, later on. But first, when looking at identity protection, Sibren, uh, for example, um, if I enable the Azure AD P2 license or the uh, security add-on, what, what, what do I need to do uh, to get alerts out of the system? Uh, first step is to enable the policies uh, for identity protection, either in the identity protection itself or through conditional access policies, which you can enable more granular uh, for your users. Uh, this will trigger that if a user has a risky sign-in or, or uh, uh, something risky <coughs> detected by Azure, it will, it will generate an alert. Yeah, and that alerts that are um, published within identity protection or what can I see that, that sort of alerts? They're either in identity protection itself or if you connect identity protection to uh, Azure Sentinel. 
Daniel get the alerts there. Yeah, and in identity protection itself, that's mainly the security portal uh, from Microsoft 365 Defender. And um, I think so, yes. But also, if you if you are in the Azure portal, there's a there's a in the security side of identity protection. There's uh, I think four topics based on risky users and risky signings and, and and so on. Yeah, and you'll you'll get them there, and you can enable uh, email notification uh, if you want to. Yeah, to get the notification. To get the notification if there's a risky user. Yeah. And uh, Mike, uh, in in case of an onboarding, um, is it, is there a preference for us to configure policies through uh, identity protection itself or through conditional access? We like customers to do it in conditional access because you can. Uh, it's a lot more granular, right? You have a lot more options for fine tuning. Um, doing it in Azure AD identity protection, enabling the policies there is you have a bit less options. So we, we like customers to do it in, uh, in conditional access. Dennis, when looking at the uh, policies that we can configure, uh, what, what, what are the policies look like? Uh, Sign-in risk, for example? Yeah, exactly. You have the sign-in risk and the user risk uh, policies. And if you uh, incorporate that into the conditional access, you can uh, connect actions um, to those risks. So what we see often for the sign-in risk is that an extra uh, MFA challenge, for instance, uh, will be made for the user. And um, when the user um, continues to do uh, suspicious behavior or a malicious actor with that account, then also the user gets a uh, risk uh, level. and. For the user risk level, uh, most of the time we see, for instance, an, an action to, to block the session or to uh, change the password and things like that. Yeah, so basically, um, if we have policies based on the user risk, uh, but also on the login risk, and uh, we can take action on the status of what's happening at that moment. Yeah, yeah, and also with conditional access, uh, of course, you can also cross-check with the, uh, yeah, the device properties. So is a device protected uh, and in compliance at that moment? So you can combine quite a few things uh, together. So that's why you should use the conditional access policies. Yeah, and so the identity protection is really powerful, but it's only for uh, the Azure identities. When looking at a hybrid situation, uh, we need another uh, another thing, Defender for Identity, Mike. When looking at Defender for Identity, uh, is, that, is that more or less the same based on user risk and all that sort of stuff, or do we see other things within Defender for Identity? Oh, we see a lot with Defender for Identity. I think Defender for Identity covers almost all known use cases for Active Directory compromise, so the, the, the on-premises part of uh, Azure Active Directory. It's a beautiful product but it is a little finicky to implement, especially to reduce false positives. Um, there's a lot of work to be done there, especially in big enterprise environments. It can be a little complex to reduce false positives um, with Microsoft Defender for Identity. Yeah. But it's, it's focusing at the, at the on-prem, uh, so we need to implement an agent on a domain controller or ADFS server. Yeah, basically it, it is implementing a sensor on domain controllers and ADFS servers. Uh, for ADFS, only server 2016 and above are supported. Um, so if you have a lower version for the ADFS server, you of course either don't deploy the sensor 
um, or you update to a supported version so you can deploy the sensor. Um, on top of that, we also like to deploy um, the MMA or AMA agent, uh, so the Azure monitoring agent or the Microsoft monitoring uh, agent, um, to upload the security logs of those servers to Sentinel if you use Sentinel in your environment, which enables us to um, have a lot more use cases because you also have the security logs, so you have a lot, a lot more detection capability there if you go that way. Yeah, and if we... Um install an agent, we deploy that agent on the domain controller. Is that so simple as that, deploying that agent and uh, then it collects everything we need? Or do we configure afterwards uh, something? Yeah, yes and no, right? If you deploy the sensor, you get a lot of, a lot of telemetry um, out of the box, but you also need to configure your audit policies correctly. Um, we see a lot of customers that have implemented the vendor for identity be before they actually become a customer uh, of, of, of Wartel. But we also often see that they implement a the product according to Microsoft recommendations, they deploy the audit policies correctly, and then Microsoft develops new detections which require new audit policies. And they're usually, uh, they don't implement those new recommendations. So what we often see is that a customer did deploy it the right way when they deployed it, but then they don't maintain the audit baseline to make sure that all newer detections within the product um, work as they should or as expected. Yeah, so basically, uh, when deploying that agent, um, there is default stuff that is configured. Uh, based on that, uh, we can add uh, additional use cases to uh, to the environment. but. Uh, as the world continues, um, improvements are made, but also uh, the ma uh, maintaining that uh, that updates uh, needs to be done in an in an environment. So we need to keep an eye on that. Yes, it's really important to uh, to follow the Microsoft recommendations regarding the audit baselines. Uh, if you don't have them in place, some detections just don't work correctly. Yeah, and if we, if I have deployed that agent, um, if it's um, is it then from day one or from the first hour? Um, everything all right or is there some time that is needed to uh, learn the environment? It kind of depends on the use case. There are several use cases or, or analytic rules or alert rules or whatever you call them. Uh, kind of depends on your preference. That work out of the box. There are also certain alerts uh, that have a learning period of 7, 15 or 30 days, kind of depending on, on the kind of alert especially the reconnaissance alerts for, for example, LDAP, they, I think they need a learning period of 30 days on the top of my head. So if you actually want to start monitoring, try to plan your deployment accordingly, like start 30 days earlier. So the AI of Microsoft in the portal can actually learn what your environment is doing and how it, how it actually behaves. Yeah, uh, and because yeah. yeah, and see what is normal. What is a normal behavior in your your environment? Yeah. So it can, uh, if if it's not normal, it can alert uh, about that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so if I have an identity, cloud, hybrid, or on-prem, um, the combination of identity protection and defender for identity is highly preferred, in my opinion. It depends, right? That's the consultancy answer, I guess. Um, you do, in my opinion, my personal opinion, you do either both, or you don't do. One of them. But no, you doing one of them is not doing it at all, yeah. in, in my opinion. So if you have both on-prem and you have cloud, you need to do both. Yeah. So 
if, if, if you have an identity living hybrid or in the cloud, so you can keep an eye on both of the products. So it gets uh, give you a lot of insight in what's happening in your environment. And you can t- definitely take action on um, what is happening with your identity. In, in, in case you have an hybrid identity and you are missing one of both, then you have a blind spot in your environment. Yeah. A hacker can enter your environment on-prem or through the cloud. And if you don't monitor them both, you probably are missing the entry point. So when it is a hybrid identity, you, you need both, period. Yeah. So you cannot do without one of them. That's the conclusion. So and uh, if you are using cloud only, then it is uh, Azure AD identity protection. If you are using uh, on-premises only, then you can only do MDI. But yeah, most organizations are hybrid now, so you need both, period. Yeah. So that's the conclusion. Let's move on. We have two left, Defender for uh, Office, Defender for Endpoint. Uh, a sheep, uh, Defender for Office, uh, that is protecting? The user's mailboxes. The mailbox and also team SharePoint and yep, other yep, uh, stuff yep. that is uh, in your environment. Yep. Um, when looking at the ma- at, at mail, is it only Defender for Office that we need to do to protect our mail environment? Well, of course, you have the the, the basic stuff like DKIM and all the, all those things which needs to be in place. Even if you just have an Exchange server, you have those things in place to prevent yep. spoofing and stuff like that. Uh, and on on top of that, uh, you have the Defender for Office suite to protect you for malicious links and malicious attachments and all, the, all those kinds of things. Yeah, and uh, Defender for Office as well as Defender for Identity and Identity Protection, <coughs> uh, there is a, a, a secure score uh, within yep. uh, the environment, so it gives you also recommendations that things uh, that you need to improve in your environment as well. Yeah, there's a ton of basic policies if you enable if, if you enable the license, and then there's a, a configuration analyzer provided by Microsoft. Yeah, for either standard or strict uh, uh, settings, and and those give really uh, nice input on on how the current settings are and how Microsoft would want them to be, which is in most cases fine. But there are certain settings which is just uh, company specific, like sending limits and stuff like that, which is yeah, it's different for every company, so there's no real golden no, but setting. But yeah, but when I enable the license for Defender for Office uh, P1 <coughs> or P2, for example. The basic policies are not enough. Uh, no, I, <coughs> I don't think so. Because uh, what you already said, uh, the strict or the standard, standard. policy, uh, the baseline that Microsoft recommends, that they are not by default on. No, 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 no. The the standard pol- the there is a default, uh, and then you have standard and strict. Yeah. And we would highly recommend to at least go to the standard. Uh, and there's there's probably a couple of settings which you you can also do on strict. Yeah. Um, what, what, it, what are the most important settings uh, that you need to analyze within the uh, within the policies? Is that um, sending limits, for example, or what are what what are that in your opinion? I would say nowadays at least the, the safe attachments and safe links settings, and also have them scan uh, in Teams and in, in SharePoint. That's that's the way they the attackers are, are misusing the office environment. Yeah. So having those on on the highest level possible uh, will give you the best protection and then of course sending limits is is less important in my my opinion because there's just of course you can limit people from sending a lot of mail outside but then there's also a lot of use cases on which it it is needed because you have a big company and and you send a lot of newsletters or whatever yeah um so so that's that that is really company uh, dependent if you if you can limit those or not yeah and if you see 
uh, Defender for Office is doing stuff on the back end uh, of, of the uh, Exchange Online environment and also on Teams and on SharePoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, when I receive a mail and it's possible malicious, what, what can I do as a user? Uh, do I have tools from Defender for Office <coughs> so I can report, for example? Yeah, you can you can mark you can mark an, a mail if you think it's malicious. You can of course mark it as as, as a. Uh, you can either block the sender, but that's that's basic uh, exchange. But you can uh, you can report the message as, as being a phishing phishing mail or malicious, and it it will come in the security center, and then someone can evaluate, and, and then even report it to Microsoft if it is a malicious. Then the Microsoft can can change their. Uh, yeah, then when when I report uh, with a report message set in, uh, when I report that message uh, as um, fish or spam or whatever, uh, then there will be on the back end, uh, there will be triggered uh, an auto-investigation? Or is that uh, something that <coughs> happened afterwards? No, no, I'm not sure if it, if it does an auto-investigation, but uh, the, the admins of the tenant will get the notification uh, that there is a, a mail marked as phishing. And then you can either choose to uh, to send it through to Microsoft so they can can evaluate the email and change their detections. And, and of course, you can take action to to have the mail search for the mail in your environment and have it deleted anywhere else where, which is not reported. Yeah, if if a mail is marked or is detected as malicious, like a fish mail, or for, uh, for example, then uh, we have uh, the, also the opportunity to remove it from other mailboxes. So it's not removed in one mailbox; it is also removed in other mailboxes. Yep. So we can uh, continue to clean up our environment from mail that isn't opened yet, uh, uh, but also received on uh, on mail. So and. If it's received afterwards, then it will be blocked uh, up front. So uh, Defender for Office is really helping to uh, clean up your environment. It's not only blocking stuff. Nope. Um, are there other things to keep in mind? Uh, I know you guys do a lot of work in the Defender for Office portal uh, to uh, have some investigations. Is, uh, are there... Are there, from an analyst perspective, are there many things to do manual uh, within Defender for Office, or uh, is automa- aut- automating one of the key points from also from a Microsoft perspective? Uh, th- what are they working on? Yeah, I, I think what is important to know that in Defender for Office, you you also have your licensing and your plans. So your plan determines what options and features you have in Defender for Office. That's very important uh, to know. So for us, for the MDR service, we, we always want customers to have plan to because you have the automated investigations in place. And I think nowadays you, you cannot live without uh, MDO plan to, in, in my opinion. So not sure what, what Mike and uh, Seep thinks about that, but um, without plan to, it's, it's very hard to defend yourself against the malicious actors. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think plan two is not optional anymore. Uh, if you do anything serious with email, you should have Defender for Office plan two. Yeah, and there is a there is a second thing, and um, I, I will do an, another recording of that uh, within a new series of Defender for Office. But there is a um, a tech simulator that is part of Defender for Office, uh, and I think that is one of the um, no, things within Defender for Office that what, we, what you can use to make. Uh, security awareness more and more effective in your organization and to learn your uh, people uh, within your organization and how to look at an email to detect what kind of stuff it is and to see if it's fish, spam or whatever. And I think that is one of the things that is really helpful because uh, other solutions like, name it, who only defend on spam 
malicious files and all that all that, that that sort of things they don't do things with uh, for example uh, security awareness what well, is still part of defender for office in my opinion if you have plan to if you have plan two, and that is for me one of the reasons to advise plan two yep. in most that's cases. That's that's really the added value. Uh, yeah. So defender for office uh, regarding email, but also regarding Teams, SharePoint, and my and my own OneDrive, for example. But that's more. I, th- I think I learned that as that's more recursive. It's not detecting stuff directly, but it's scanning the environment uh, in a recursive way to see what is on the system and block uh, and see alert on that and that sort of stuff. Is that is that correct? Well, especially Teams, is, is that's part of the save attachments uh, module, uh, which, of course, scans files which, which users send to each other and stuff like that, and probably does the same for, for SharePoint. Yeah, but the save attachments, that is more added. There's a specific URL uh, for Microsoft that is added, so it scans directly when you're opening a URL, correct? Yeah, that's safe links. That's yeah. safe links. Safe links does the uh, the the, the pre assembly. We call that that. Yeah. Um, so so the it changed the URL to to something which says uh, I think it says safe links or whatever even in the, the URL, and it sends you through the through the uh, as a proxy through Microsoft so that they can uh, can pre scan the URL. And safe, and safe attachments. That is when opening an attachment. Opening the file and, and if you receive an email, it will either what you choose. You can choose if it scans it first then delivers it or you can do like a more dynamic that it delivers the email and then after the scan of the attachment is finished to attach the, the attachment again and, and that will basically just sandbox the attachment to see if there's any malicious code or whatever in in that content in in, in, yep. in that file yeah <coughs> okay that was defender defender for office and uh, you have one uh, one thing to mention dennis yeah i have one uh, addition um, because we now uh, talked about the uh, the features of, of MDO. But what's also very interesting to do is go through the secure score recommendations. And you also have them for Teams, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the recommend- recommendations for Exchange Online, yeah, that's basically the same as the analyzer also mentions. But the Teams recommendation can uh, really surprise you sometimes because Microsoft have very good recommendations on that as well. So the secure score recommendations basically for each product go through them. Yeah, and the, uh, you mentioned the defender secure score, or is that the team secure score, compliance secure score? What what, what secure score do you, do what, you what, mean? Whatever you want, <laughs> uh, Frans. Uh, in the security portal, you have the secure score, and um, you can filter it uh, yeah, based on the uh, application. So you can filter on teams or on... Yeah. Exchange online on the device, all, all sorts of categories basically. Yeah, so we're talking about the Microsoft 365 security suite, uh, the security.microsoft.com portal. Uh, that was what we're talking about, and the secure score with edits, uh, the defender secure score. Uh, take a take a look at that because it's not only defender for office. It's also uh, recommendations regarding defender for identity, uh, identity protection, also defender for endpoint, uh, but also uh, sp- uh, more application specific. So teams improvements and and things that you have to do, uh, you can do. Uh, in most cases, you have to do, uh, in my opinion. But uh, you can take a look at that and see what improvements can you do in your environment, for example. 
Okay, that was Defender Volfis, uh, secure score. Let's move on to Defender for Endpoint. I think that is one of the most broadest applications in the in, in the security suite. I think the most work after enabling a license and enabling the product, work has to be done uh, on the Defender for Endpoint and maybe not on the Defender for Endpoint portal, uh, not in, in on the backend, mo- mostly on the clients and things that we can configure on the clients, isn't it, uh, Dennis? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's true. So if if we look at the client, for instance, uh, I think we uh, most organizations are using Intune as well. So if you start with Intune with the uh, security baselines that Microsoft offer, you already have a very good start. Also, implement at least the audit settings of attack uh, surface reduction. Rules. Yeah, well, that was one of the questions uh, because uh, you said take an action on the baseline from Defender for Endpoint and enabling that on Windows, uh, macOS, and uh, Linux, for example. But enabling the baseline also means that you enable ASR rules and ASR attack surface reduction. That I think that is the thing that has the most impact on a device for an end user. I think or so in the baseline it's enabled. But you, uh, you already said, please set it on auditing so you know what happens. Yeah, it, it, it can be some impact uh, for the end user, that's true. Uh, but it also has impact on uh, yeah, new vulnerabilities and, 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 and new uh, possibilities to breach an environment. What, what we have seen a lot with uh, ASR rules uh, turned on, that an attack uh, using Office, for instance, which wasn't patched yet, was blocked by ASR. So it is really important in your environment. And also, you, you don't have to have a policy in place for all your devices. You can easily make multiple device groups and exclude those uh, device groups from, from the general policy that's very strict and then create two other ones uh, for those specific groups yeah, which you configure a bit differently uh, because of the functionality an HR department, for instance, needs. Are there other differences between the operating system, so like uh, Windows or macOS, and when configuring policies, for example, for that for that client, are we taking that differently? So we're taking Windows more strictly than macOS, for example, or what, what do we do? Yeah, the the OS basically dictates what you can configure. So ASR rules, they don't exist in macOS. It's actually a Windows OS feature that you configure. So, and and also a a, a Mac OS device, um, it it does things differently on a certain level. So uh, what you see is that Defender for Endpoint is uh, leaning on the OS features of Windows as well. So in Windows, you have the most uh, richest yeah, functionality. Yeah. And uh, Linux and Mac OS are lagging a bit behind, but they are making very uh, good improvements on that lately. Uh, but there are differences. So you, need to, you really need to be familiar with the differences in the OSs to determine what you can configure. Yeah. Are there, are there other things, uh, Mike, to keep in mind when enabling Defender for Endpoint? I think that um, deploying the client is not enough Um, and Microsoft states that in their documentation as well, but it is really important to uh, make sure that you also configure the policies for the vendor for endpoint. For example, what happens when a malicious 
file is detected, are you going to remove it? Are you going to quarantine it? Microsoft has a, has a really good baseline for that in Intune. What we often see is that that's deployed. Uh, but you can also do it with group policy, for example, if you have uh, if you have an on-premises environment with Active Directory. We see some customers that did deploy the vendor for endpoints and then don't deploy those baselines. So it's effectively not doing that much. And I think another point to, to keep in mind, and that is uh, going back to, uh, to Den- what Dennis said earlier about the differences in operating systems, uh, not only for Windows, but also Linux and Mac, is that depending on the OS level in Windows, or if you use a Linux or a Mac device, is that you sometimes don't have the response options that you have on Windows, for example, uh, isolating a device. So if something happens and you have an analyst that investigates that alert that thinks that something is amiss, uh, you want to isolate that device within the Defender for Endpoint portal. And sadly, with some operating systems, you don't have that capability. Yeah, so with, with some old versions, uh, you still have yeah. a lack of, 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 of possibilities that you can do from an analyst perspective. Uh, from a response perspective, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And if we look at Defender for Endpoint, there's also web content filtering. Is, is that something that is also helping from an analyst perspective or is it helping only from an organization perspective uh, to your end users i would say both i mean you can you can easily make a list of, of all the, the domains or whatever you don't want to the, the device to have visited even if you combine it with a, with a suite like uh, cloud app security yeah you can unsanction cloud apps which which basically makes a web content filter for that, those domains so then you can I don't know, block uh, social media, whatever you, you want to like as, as a company. And it also, if there's been a breach or if there's a from office uh, URL clicked, which has been verdicted as malicious uh, a couple hours of days later, you can always go in and, and, and make it a make it a content filter that, that at least nobody else can can access the, those links. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it, it it's a great addition in in being able to block domains on the endpoints. Yeah, so you have the possibility, uh, if you are, uh, as an analyst, you detect some stuff in an environment that are not good, uh, so you can take action in Defender for Endpoint to block also URLs, IP addresses and, uh, and stuff uh, yep. uh, to make the environment more safely. Yep. Other things uh, that, that we missed? Yeah, I, th- I think to add to that, the, the features that you need for that are custom network indicators and allow block file. For example, yeah. I, I think by default, I'm not sure for new tenants, but uh, for older tenants, right, they were disabled by default. So if you want to make use of those features, you need to enable them from uh, the Defender for Endpoint portal. Yeah, yeah. we have in the Defender for Endpoint portal, there are a few high-level options uh, like uh, network indicators, like um, if, you, if you want to uh, connect stuff to... Uh, Sentinel, for example, there are tenant-wide settings that you need to do in the Defender for Endpoint portal, and uh, nowadays in the security portal. Do we cover everything uh, in Defender for Endpoint, uh, Dennis? Yeah, of course not, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you had some time constraints as well, I think. Yeah, that, that, um, that's I, one, I, but I, the I, most I, important I, I things. I think we covered the most important things. Um, what we also discussed in a previous uh, podcast was the... Uh, DVM uh, features, yeah, and the vulnerability management, and I, I, I think that's a very interesting one. Yeah, what what we see often is that the notifications are not configured. If you didn't do that yet, configure the notifications for the uh, vulnerabilities. It really helps you. And also, what's an important one? Know your applications, uh, because Microsoft is detecting a lot. 
but not all applications are supported by Defender for Endpoint yet. Yeah. So for instance, at this moment, we are having some issues with Veeam. And Veeam, for instance, is an example of an application that is not supported yet at this moment. So it is not reporting the vulnerabilities at this moment and only the first. So be aware of that. Yeah, so uh, Defender for Endpoint is supported, so it can be run, uh, Defender for Endpoint can be run on, on a system that has Veeam installed, but it's not reporting all the stuff uh, like threat and vulnerability management. So if um, everything is good and up to date and that sort of thing. When when looking into threat and vulnerability management, within threat and vulnerability management, if I have enrolled my agent for Defender for Endpoint on all, the, no, there's no agent, but it's in the, uh, on macOS there is an agent, but on Windows it's a service that will be uh, enabled. If, if that's done, uh, do I need to configure some extra stuff for threat and vulnerability management or is it reporting automatically? It is reporting automatically. Uh, what's important to know, uh, what we also discussed in the previous uh, podcast, is that the add-on is adding uh, extra value yep. in your environment. So that's an important one. It expands the reporting on uh, certificates and on um, yeah, web browser add-ins and stuff like that. Yeah, and if you want to know more about the threat and vulnerability management, so uh, please look into or listen to the uh, the podcast that we have uh, recorded yep. uh, uh, together with Dennis. So if you want to know more, listen to that one. That was Defender for Endpoint. So we cover um, more or less all the Defender for Cloud apps we didn't mention, but there's also uh, within the Defender for uh, Defender 365 security suite. But from an incident perspective. Uh, I have these sort of products within uh, Microsoft 365 Defender. I can look into the security portal, see all the alerts. But with, it, with, with that sort of alerts, do I need to do some extra stuff or can I handle all the, all the, the stuff there? Uh, do I need, need other things to do? Well, I, I would say, of course, you can find all the alerts in all the different products and so on. But I would highly recommend to have at least... Uh, either Seam or SOAR catching all the alerts. Uh, one, to give you a, a single pane of glass to, to view all the incidents. And also, those systems can help you and correlate incidents on either endpoints or users or office. Uh, so it finds the identity and then you'll probably get a, either a multi-stage attack or, or something like that. Yeah, and it's more or less important if you have uh, a more system <coughs> than only the Microsoft security stack, uh, like 365 Defender, then it's also... Uh, recommended then to connect to Sentinel. Especially, yeah, especially. But even if you if you just have the Microsoft uh, a stack, uh, yes, you can find most alerts in the security portal of Microsoft, but then it's probably harder to do combined triage and, and, and automated investigations uh, over all the products at once. Yeah. But from an, from an analyst perspective, you say that uh, Sentinel adds value on top of the Microsoft 365 Defender Suite. Yes. Other things from onboarding incident management? I, I think that Sentinel has a lot of added value. The the, the products themselves uh, within the Defender uh, 365 portal give you a lot of insight and they give you the out-of-the-box incidents uh, and use cases that Microsoft provides with, for example, Defender for Endpoint or Defender for Office. I think a seem like Sentinel does give analysts added capability for investigation and correlation. But I think a more important thing is that it also helps with enabling and developing 
custom use cases for customers, uh, something that you cannot do in the Defender 365 portal. Um, you have a few options like custom alert indicators and, and stuff like that, but you, you cannot develop your own use cases or enable, enable use cases that the community developed within the Defender 365 portal. And you can do that in Sentinel and uh, Microsoft and the community actually provide a lot of additional uh, analytic rules that run in Sentinel uh, that use the data for, for from, for example, Azure Active Directory um, uh, for extra use cases and alerting. Uh, so I think that adds a lot of benefit uh, on top of the integration that the products themselves has have within the 365 Defender portal. Yeah, and when looking at use cases uh, that you can enable and develop in, uh, in in Sentinel, for example, the add value for specific situations, specific things that are now related to you as a an end user or a customer or whatever, uh, and that helps. That is not in the base of the uh, 365 Defender uh, environment. So you need to uh, add that on top. And uh, that sort of improvements that cannot be done by Microsoft because they are specific and they ne yeah, you need to do that by yourself or uh, use an, an, an service for that, like uh, an MDR service, Soxim uh, service, uh, for example. Dennis, anything to add? Yeah, I was triggered by Mike um, when he said uh, integrations. Don't forget to enable the integrations in the security portal. So you have uh, in uh, Defender for Endpoint, for instance, in the advanced features, you have integration settings, but also on the other side, in, for instance, Defender for Cloud Apps, you also have integration settings over there. So please don't forget to set them, because otherwise you, you won't... Uh, get the most out of your uh, security portal and your products because they really worked well together, all the products. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Enabling uh, Microsoft 365 Defender with the, the license is not enough. Uh, you have to do configuration, uh, creating policies, and so on uh, to get the, the correct information in your uh, security portal or extend that to uh, Microsoft Sentinel, for example. And uh, what the guys are, say, uh, are saying, adding Sentinel to you uh, to your Microsoft 365 uh, security suite is highly recommended so you can do extra stuff and uh, get a lot of more insights and do specific things. So I think we, we have touched identity protection, uh, Defender for Identity, Defender for Office, Defender for Endpoint, to see what the products on a high level, what they do and what you need to do to uh, make use of them in the correct way. Uh, extend them to uh, Microsoft Sentinel. But hopefully that, that will help. So thanks, guys, uh, on the table. Thank you for listening uh, this time. Hopefully we see each other next time. And next time that will be New Year, so 2023. So any thoughts about the new year and things that are coming, guys? A lot of work, I guess. Yeah, and I think it is a good uh, New Year's uh, resolution, or how you call it, to invest some time in your environment. Really, uh, we, we, we see a lot of customers that are not reserving some time to go through the security portal. If you don't do that, please start with that for the New Year. Yeah, Mike, anything to add? I, I think that Dennis makes a really good point right there. We still see a lot of organizations that 
see security tools as deploying them, right? We have implemented and deployed those security tools, but organizations need to move more towards also using those tools and the insights they provide, especially if you have the full E5 suite, you get incredible insight within your environment with the Microsoft Secure Score baselines. And I think that organization would do well if they, like Dennis said, reserve the time, like half a day every week to go through those recommendations, to go through the information that those tools provide and act on the most important things for their environment. Um, I think that that will be a very nice way of looking at providing better security and getting more value out of the tools. Microsoft does an incredible job with giving you the insight, but uh, the security guys and the sysadmins actually have to act on those signals as well. Yeah. Great. Sheep, anything? Oh, well, kind of aligned with what Dennis said. There's there's also a lot of advanced hunting capabilities in, in the Defender stack, which gives you the ability to, if there's a new CVE or, uh, released, most of the times there's a lot of uh, identity of compromise set there, which you can uh, easily or either with help from some of the pre-built queries uh, run through your environment with the advanced hunting queries, which then give you uh, if if everything is enabled correctly, it, it will give you insight in in if if your environment is vulnerable, and and where those vulnerabilities are. So keep an eye on that. Thank you for listening this time again, and hopefully see each other next year. So until that time, thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>